You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It is the GM Shuffle, and I promise you this time, we are not only going to dive into the draft, because, of course, it is draft day today here Thursday, but also Donovan McNabb's comments about Carson Wentz, just also the NFL schedule being released. We have this paper here from our producer, Joe. It literally, you see every... It's the best, isn't it? It's unbelievable. You can literally look at any week and try to determine I, what could I, happen. I love the logos. If I were given this to Al Davis, he would have th- thrown it right back at my face. <laughs> Two reasons. A, the paper's too thin, uh, and I'm colorblind. I can't see these oh, colors. This color coordination is unbelievable. Also, <laughs> it's, it's great. Mike's going to have great stories, I promise. We'll get into those uh, from Mike Leach in Washington State. You just had a trip out there to Pullman. So, uh, Have you ever been to Pullman? I haven't. I covered college football for five years, never got a Pullman. But it's in the middle of, I mean, it's like a desert. It's, it's a high, de- you know, the plain desert. It's its really an interesting place. Uh, unbelievable facilities out there. Unbelievable facilities. Right. And, you know, it's its Washington. I was, one time we played out there when I was at UNLV, we played Washington State up in Spokane. One of the prettiest places you'll ever be. John Elway, actually, they told me there when I was out there, he has a home in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, oh, wow. which is right across from there. It's beautiful. That's really cool. All right, we'll talk, we'll talk more, more about, about Mike Leach. Uh, yeah, we'll get Leach's class. stories in the end and geography as well. But here we go. Draft is tonight. And as you said last in the pod, but it bears reiterating, is how many trades do we get in the first round? Because as you said, when it comes to quarterbacks, these guys don't just fall in your lap. Whether or not the Cardinals take Kyler Murray at one, whether or not the Raiders move up to get a quarterback, whether or not the Jaguars do, et cetera, these teams all want to make a move in pale. So as we take a look, top five are Cardinals, Niners, Jets, Raiders, Bucks. You got the Giants at six. How many trades will happen, you think, in terms of quarterbacks? Well, I think if Murray doesn't go one, I think you'll see four trades. Now, I don't think they'll all be in the top ten, but I think you're going to see four trades. I think you're going to see the proverbial, we got to come back into the first. If we don't get them, maybe the Giants think they can use two of their first picks. Giants have 12 picks, right? Yeah. So say the Giants picks a defensive lineman, which I think they'll definitely do. They want a defensive rusher. So whether it's Josh Allen or whomever left for them at six, and then at 17, they when you look at that roster, they can pick pretty much anything they want. Mm-hmm. But they could then take their second and try to get back into the first to get whatever quarterback they think is they like if he happens to slip back. So, so you're right. If you go 6-17 and go late first round by trading up your second, you can get a quarterback who slips a little bit because this isn't a quarterback-heavy draft. Get a D lineman who's a stud at six and at seventeen, maybe you sharp your offense. Right, and then by doing that, you also get the fifth year of the contract. So for a quarterback, that's why it's so important. That's why teams are trading for the quarterback. You get the fifth year of the contract. So when you get in there, now you got the fifth year, and so you don't have to worry. If you draft a quarterback in the second, third, or fourth round, you're saying I'm getting a backup quarterback 
for four years and that's it. Cause I, you know, then he's out, he starts for you, you know, and all of a sudden you're, you're, re, you're trying to renegotiate well into that deal. Best guess. You're a betting man. You got a plate of pasta fazool in front of you. They go Lombardi. You can eat this entire Italian restaurant. If you get the number one pick, right. Is Kyler Murray going number one tonight? Yes or no? I, I don't think so. I, I just don't think so because here's why I think that Cliff Kingsbury was brought in there to save Josh Rosen, not draft Kyler Murray. I just that to me is my instinct. And you can't hire a guy and say he's a great offensive coordinator at Texas Tech. He can do anything. He can work miracles. But we're gonna get you some help. But he first. can only work miracles with this guy. He can't work miracles <laughs> with everybody. Right. Well, we'll get you some help first. No, no, no you're not getting help. You got to fix this. We I, spent I, a big draft on this guy just a year ago. It drives me it. crazy. It's like when when head coaches in college football stop coaching. Like you got the job to be the head coach of your college program because you were the best coach. And they gave it to you. Now, all of a sudden, you're just going to supervise everybody. Right. Like, Cliff Kingsbury got the job because he was the guru for all quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he made Mahomes. So you just so if you're Steve Kime and this is your seventh draft and you're looking at it, you're saying, look, you know, I gave up a three and a five for this guy. I got my, my balls are on the line here. This yeah. is it. This is make or break time for me. Mm-hmm. I'm hiring you. I took a lot of crap to hire you, right? You got fired at Texas Tech. You were just the OC at USC. You weren't the head coach to Clay Helton. Like that's going to be a trivia question on Jeopardy one day, right? Who, you know, who was the offensive coordinator to Clay? You know, or who right. was the head coach at USC during? Nobody right. knows who Clay Helton is. No, and I just hired you from there. I mean, come on. Oh, you felt like as soon as Cliff got hired, how many years before he becomes the head coach? Anyways, right? He's the head coach and waiting. As soon as Helton stumbles, right, you're the guy. And instead, they're like, yeah, you know what? I'll go get my NFL job now. I don't have and, to wait for this guy to. Go. And it only cost 150 grand to let you go out. Like had, his buyout was 150. Like who did that contract for SC? Like you idiot. Like you don't think somebody was going to come get this guy? Whether it was going to be some other program, right? Like you could have made like right, even as an offensive coordinator in college, you would have had big money. Made us buy out two million, you know, and say, okay, somebody wants him because I'm going to keep his ass. Yeah, yeah like, at least for would, a year or two. So they put 150 grand on it. Like, okay, you could have him. Like, kidding me? 150 grand? That's not even a practice squad player. <laughs> it makes no sense. I'm with you. I think Rosen stays with Arizona. They try to fix him. We'll see what happens after that. I, I want to know what happens with the Giants at six. You mentioned the defensive lineman. You're pretty yeah. confident about that? I, I am. I, I think, look, what people have to understand about the Giants, it's all size, speed, big school. Yeah. So this isn't Gettleman. This goes back in time to, to George Young. It's all size, speed. It's all big school. Chris Mara has as much involvement as Dave Gettleman does. Their scouts are, uh, does. Their coaches don't have as much. I mean, this is Gettleman's. This will be his grading system. I mean, it's all about production over athleticism. It's really all about big schools and their yep. grading system. They want to have guys that are clean. They want guys that fit the fit the prototype of what they do at the positions. Jaguars at seven, Mike. You would have thought before we had the quarterback, but they paid a ton of money to Nick Foles. So now quarterback's not an issue. Right. And obviously Blake Bortles, we all know that didn't work out. Where do the Jags go now? You know, don't you think if Blake Bortles ends up having a great career, you know, don't you think David Caldwell, the GM of the Jags, will say, you know, I'm going to trade for Blake Bortles. I'm going to prove everybody right. <laughs> you can even see the scenario where Blake Bortles comes in in week two, right. and then all of a sudden he leads the the Rams to right. the Rosetta. I knew it all along. I, I knew told it all you. Along. I just signed Foles because you all guys told me to you do told it. Me right? to do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I think Jacksonville has a severe – I think Jacksonville has a real culture problem. I think the, this whole situation – I don't care who they draft. Mm-hmm. This whole situation with, you know, the corner and him holding out and him saying, hey, I'm not at Ramsey, I'm not at camp, and people know why I'm not because of his contract. But it's crazy. Two years ago, they were Saxonville. They were fun. They were exciting. Maybe they could take them to Patriots' but, ferocious defense, and all of a sudden they fall that far? Because, the, Ramsey's because, that- because they've let it slip. 
the culture, if you don't stay on top of it every day, it's you let it go. Right. And Tom is trying to do Al Davis routine. He's trying to stay in the front office and coach the team. Right. Meanwhile, that puts the head coach in a horrendous situation because everybody goes, what do you think, Tom? Yeah. Wait a minute. Here's the coach, right? Yeah. So they need a left tackle badly. I mean, I could see him taking – and knowing Tom, the way Tom's been brought up in terms of the size and speed of the New York Giants system, right. that'll be exactly what it'll be. It'll be an offensive lineman size and speed. But I don't know where Cal- Caldwell is. I'm not sure you know, what his influence is going to be because it's funny. Caldwell's from the Polian school. Now, the Polian school and the, and the Giants school are complete opposites. Polian is – he don't give a shit what size you are. You know, he'll take little school guys. Doesn't really have a prototypical position. Because if you remember those Colt teams, Rob, Robert Mathis, we talked about this on, yeah, on, on the Tuesday. Yeah. Under, they'll take undersized guys at the positions. Right. Bob where, Sanders. Where, whereas all about the Giants are, no, if you're too small, you're out. Yeah. So it's, it's so you know you know that that uh, you know that Tom Coughlin's running it because you could see that even though Caldwell has the title of general manager, yeah. he really has no influence. When, Especially when I'm sure he held on to Blake Bortles' foot when he was running out the door. Don't go, Blake. Please stay out. You'll prove us <laughs> just right. Just in case. You'll prove us right, Blake. <laughs> what about the lines of they Talk about cultures and just a culture of losing and just a bad team. I mean, you know, I think where Matt Patricia made a horrible mistake is I, I think, you know, too often people say, why do you, why did he go in there and why does he want to be like Belichick? And I'm like, I think really, look, you got to be who you want to be, right? You got to be your own man. But I think this is the biggest issue up in Detroit. Yeah. He took over for a really popular coach, uh, Jim Caldwell. Okay. Players and coach. People players love. coach. They loved him. They identified with him. It was important to him. He walks in there and says, everything you did in this program is the shits. We're going to start all over. But if he would have changed his, if he would have changed his sentence structure and said, fellas, look, Jim was a great man. You guys did some incredible things here. You were one game from the playoffs. My job is to get you into the playoffs, deep in the playoffs and win the title. So whatever I do here is going to be in that instance. I'm taking it to the next level. I'm taking it to the next level. Now it's a completely different light. The players say, oh, I got you, man. Meanwhile, Matt's come in there and says, no, you're not sitting up straight in the classroom. I got the pencil behind my ear, even though I have a laminated sheet in front of me. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to cut off my sleeves. Right. I'm going to be somebody I'm not. Show up 10 minutes earlier, you're getting fined. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, they need more picks. They definitely need more picks. They need they need to revamp their offensive line. And they, they, they've tried to do that. They need more offensive linemen. They need defensive linemen. I think they need defensive line more than anything. They're talking about drafting a tight end. For me, you know, they could use that. The other issue is we just I just read this the other day. Matthew Stafford's wife's had I mean, that we, we don't as fans, yeah, we don't really understand how much that can impact your football team. I mean, and you gotta hope that she gets better, but the wear and tear on that poor kid and his whole family and his wife. I don't think you can really put into how good of a team they can be because I don't think he could be fully there at present at the moment. How could he? Yeah, it's your franchise quarterback. He's doing something which is far more important. Yeah, we as fans, we think we can separate the personal from the professional. I don't think you can. I mean, this is your wife, and she's going through the struggle of her life. This is really, really a challenge. And, I, you know, look, most people would need a leave of, leave of absence from work to handle their wife. Yeah. And she's going to be strong, and, I, I, and, and God hope that she gets through this all. But I, we're talking to professionally now. I think that's going to wear on you. And, and I'm not saying they're going to draft a quarterback because of it, but I'm saying that I don't know what level this team can get to because of, A, the way it's been since he's been there, Matt Patricia. Mm-hmm. And then when you add the quarterback, not all, not really can't be there because of his life. It's tough. A couple more from the top 10. Number nine is the Buffalo Bills. Well, Buffalo could do really anything they want to do. I mean, when you look at Buffalo, I mean, they've signed, what, seven off, six offensive linemen. 
But I, I think, you know, when you break down the teams, and I think the most important thing to do when you break down these teams, teams keep track of how many players you bring in at your position, right? Mm-hmm. So you're allowed, you're allowed 30 visits on your own campus. You can go work out whoever you want. But mostly teams bring in people that they want to get to know. Like the Bills have brought in seven receivers. So it's a pretty good chance they're going to draft a receiver. Right. You know, they brought in seven receivers. You know, they brought in a bunch of defensive linemen. So I think it's either defensive linemen or receiver for them. I think that's – and I think if the board tilts in the favor of a defensive lineman, they'll go in that direction because I'm not sure the board's going to tilt for a receiver. And lastly from the top ten, Denver Broncos at ten. What are you hearing there? Well, you know, everybody thinks quarterback. Please I think, don't say quarterback. I, I think everybody thinks quarterback, but, you know, I, I don't see that. I think they need a receiver as well. I think they're going to need some playmakers. We know that We know that Emmanuel Sanders is coming off the injury, that the, the Mario Thomas isn't there. You know, they like the Sutton kid that they had last year, but I, I think receiver could be there. I mean, when you look at it, when you look at the number two positions they brought the most players in, it's been quarterback receiver. All right, that's as far as the draft is concerned. Obviously, it'll be a ton of fun tonight to look forward to what happens. As you said, Mike, there's going to be trades, there's going to be movement. People are going to be uh, aghast at what happens. There's always a lot of good entertainment. In terms of excitement for the draft, where are you going to be tonight? Do you get like a... Like popcorn, you get some beers. Like, I'm going to be in Vegas. Okay. I'm in Vegas. I'm going to do the draft for Vegas Stats and Information Network. I'm going to be. Uh, I think there's betting in this draft. Did you realize this? <laughs> People did. actually bet apparently on this. that's starting to become a bigger deal. Yeah, now. like I, I didn't ever realize this. As like, a Jersey guy, now it's okay in your home state. Yeah, it's great. It's great. I mean, I didn't realize that people are actually sitting there can bet on who's the first pick in the draft, who's second. <laughs> it makes things a lot more interesting. I it say. really does. It really does. I mean, you know, like you sit there and you wonder, like, because all these mocks are so damn wrong. <laughs> Are they? Could they get any wrong? Here's the thing about mocks: you can always just mock point eight, mock point seven, but nobody actually follows up afterwards. No, like where's the inquiry the next day and the investigation to say how'd you do? Uh, oh, you got like ten of thirty-two? Are you kidding? I mean, I, I, I when I talk to players before the draft, yeah. I put up somebody's mock three okay, and I say, tell me the player who's not in mock three yeah. And these kids are so smart. They said, well, Mahomes. Yeah. So what I said to them is, you're gonna let him evaluate you, right? I mean, here you are. You're going to let him evaluate. He didn't have Mahomes in his first round at 3.0. Wow. And now you're going to let him evaluate you? Seriously? You're going to do that? So why would you pay attention to him? Makes no sense. You'll be in Vegas. You'll be at the craps table. You'll be keeping one eye on the draft. It'll be be interesting, especially considering that we got the Raiders. Like, if Murray doesn't go first tonight and the Raiders are at four. Raiders are trading up to get him, man. Does John just sit there and can't hold himself water? Can't help. And then who's helping Mayock in the room? Like, who's really helping them? I mean, Dan Ventrelli's a really good lawyer. He's been around the block. Tommy Delaney does their cap. He's really good at what he does. Yeah. But who's going to make the moves in his head for Mike to really manipulate? And then you know John's going to be chirping his ear, draft a receiver, draft a receiver. We need another, you know, we got no juice. We got no juice, man. We got to have some juice, you know? He won't be chirping. He'll be and barking And I'm sure Cable, their offensive line coach, will be trying to draft some down-the-line defensive lineman. I can make him an offensive lineman. Yeah, you know? Tom Cable, he, he believes in himself. He, he can make guy. He's like, he's like a sculptor. I mean, yeah, he I mean, he's Michelangelo. He's over there. You know, he's over there. You know, I, I'm going to take this kid from New Hampshire and make him an offensive lineman. Okay, good luck. Let's see how that goes. <laughs> good luck indeed tonight. How about the Philadelphia Eagles and Donovan McNabb talking about Carson Wentz? The quote was specifically, I think in the next two, three years, two years or so, he has to find a way to get out of the second round of the playoffs. What Nick Foles was able to do, take them to a Super Bowl, and then possibly take them back to the NFC Championship game, proves that, hey, some people can get into that offense and be very successful. Wentz hasn't been healthy. He hasn't really proven to me, besides the year before he got hurt in the year he was, really an MVP candidate. He needs to get back to that moment. This led to Lane Johnson firing back on Twitter, implying that McNabb is a snake. 
outright declaring nobody respects the former Eagles passer when he comes back to Philly. Your take. I think, uh, I really think Donovan needs to have his eyes examined. <laughs> I think he needs to go to Pearl Vision. Are they still in business, Pearl Vision? Center? Pearl Vision, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think he needs to go to get Pearl Vision. I mean, gun. if they want to advertise on the pod, feel free. I just gave you a free plug. Pearl Vision <laughs> Center, get a discount on your, but what's he watching? Like, this guy's a franchise quarterback who got hurt. I, this or- line drives me absolutely insane is, yeah. is, you know, he, Nick Foles led him to the Super Bowl. Stop it. Right. Stop it. Carson Wentz got him in the position to have home field advantage all throughout the goddamn playoffs. Right. Like, what, did he not do anything? <laughs> he, number one seed. Number one seed. In the first playoff game, Foles wasn't particularly electric. It was horrendous. Right. I mean, if Steve Sarkeesian could call plays at first and goal with a nine with a minute and a seven to go, not that I remember, a minute <laughs> seven to go, you know, and he calls us fade into the end zone, like right. the dumbest call of all. Oh, by the way, I'm going to double up on the dumbest call in the world and call a slant incomplete, two right. incompletes. Right. I mean, the Andy Reid school of time management, yeah. they don't win that game. Instead, He's great in the NFC Championship game. He's great in the Super Bowl. I got it. But to your point, I, I, I get tired of these Johnny come lately when it comes to Wentz. Do you, rem- do you remember last year, you know, during the football season when everybody was begging for Wentz to come back after week two when the when the Literally. Eagles lost week two? And how bad did they look in the opener against Atlanta, even though exactly. they won? Right. Both games, Foles was unimpressive. They go one and one. Everyone's like, God, is Carson ready? Is Carson ready? And all of a sudden, he comes back, played well. And if you look at the numbers last year, Mike, in terms of his accuracy, he was fine. Clearly, it takes a guy a year to get back fully to health. Right. For McNabb to say, hey, you're on the clock. you got two years at NFC Championship game or else. Or else what? Right. They're going to draft another quarterback? They're not drafting another quarterback. Well, Wentz is their guy. You know, the hardest thing to do in sports, Al Davis used to do this to me all the time, is when I would get on the team plane, I would have to sit next to him or down the down the aisle from him. I preferred when I was down the aisle from him, yeah. but I, I would get called over to him and he would always say, do you know why we won today? Or do you know why we lost? <laughs> do you know why? Usually it was, do you know why we effing lost today? Yeah. And, and I'd have to answer him in a really concise manner and give him an answer. And that Donovan McNabb's quote is clearly not being able to identify why they won and why they lost because right. he has no clue about it. And I think that happens too often in the media. People don't understand why teams win and why they lose. Right. And so when moves are made that don't that don't fit the narrative, they really don't understand why they won and why they lost. Right. You know, and because if you don't if you take the scoreboard out of the game, you just take it out and you just watch the game, you realize, you know, did Andy Reid lose the overtime game because he didn't get the ball? Of course he didn't lose the overtime game because he, he could have stopped them. He had the ball first and goal at his own 30, at first and 10 at his own 30 with three minutes to go in the game. If he runs the ball there, the clock starts to run down. Tom Brady's on the other sideline, just by the way. Yeah. He left enough time for Tom to get the ball back, and then he got the ball back to send it in overtime. But if he manages the game differently, he allowed him to have 65% on third down. That's why they lost. It wasn't because he didn't get the ball back in overtime. They had three third downs in overtime. They couldn't stop them. Right. You know, it's like saying, okay, the call cost the Saints to play. It did. But the call, there was other things that led up to the call. Right? I mean, the Saints, the Rams had 200 yards of offense in the second half. The Saints, the Saints couldn't score the first two third downs in the red zone. They had to kick field goals. They scored touchdowns on both those plays. Does the call really matter? And specific to your point with regards to the Eagles, they are an organization which is what? Well-regarded, well-respected guys that are smart, who understand the cap, who understand how to plot guys in. Like This isn't like, hey, Foles rescued a team that was in the doldrums of mediocrity. Like, no, this is a smart, well-run organization. And Foles is part of that, being a savvy pickup who led them to where they wanted to go. And, and, you know, look, I was critical on Peterson, but to give him credit, he adapted the Chip Kelly offense. Nobody in Philly wants to hear that. (laughs) But the Chip Kelly offense fit Nick Foles. I mean, that's really what fit him, and, and I think that helped him out 
And then last year, look at Philly's running backs. I mean, they had no backs. I mean, yes. Jai gets hurt. They have Clements hurt. They have no backs. They really can't do anything. Their offensive line's kind of beat up. I mean, you know, Brandon Brooks gets hurt in the playoff game, but Jason Peters is struggling to play the whole season. Vitae didn't play very well. Yeah. I mean, the, the receiver situation was another problem. I mean, they signed Golden Tate, and he really wasn't what they thought he was. Of course, the Giants signed him too. How smart's that? Because what do they have, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, so like they, they, they don't have really anybody in there. And it's it's a fascinating situation, but it goes back to that whole thing. If you really want to understand football after the game, figure out why you won, figure out why you lost. And it's and it's so perfectly defined. Coaches don't do it. I mean, coaches don't do it. I was in Cleveland in 2013. We played New England in New England. We had a uh, 26 to 16 lead with about two minutes to seven to go in the game. Earlier in the game, T.J. Ward just leveled, just leveled Gronk's knees, and Gronk went out for the year for the ACL injury, okay? So the game went from an 11 game, one back, one tight end, to a 10 game, one back, no tight ends. We didn't really have any corners to cover. So when they started throwing the ball, Brady all of a sudden started having a day because we really weren't prepared for 10 personnel. Then we weren't prepared for their onside kick because we had no idea it was coming that way. And then we weren't prepared for the two-minute. We weren't prepared for a – we couldn't have no play on third down to get them the ball back. So we lose the game. And we all get on the play and say, well, the corners suck, this guy sucks, which they did. I mean, that's – but we lost the game because when it went from a t- 11 game to a 10 game, we, d- we couldn't handle it. Right. And if you don't understand it, why you lose, why you win, too much time in the NFL is spent on the next game. Even when you win, you better do an autopsy. Right. What was successful? We have to replicate what do we do? again. Were we fortunate because we were lucky to escape because of this? Or is this something to build off of even if we won or lost? Right. Uh, who are the Eagles going to draft, by the way? Do you think Eagles are not drafting I think the Eagles 25th? I think the Eagles will draft Jeffrey Simmons. I think if Jeffrey Simmons oh, makes it down to my guy, if he makes it down to him. Now, I'm told Simmons is character-wise – other than the one incident, is impeccable. Like, nobody at Mississippi State. No issue in college, yeah. Nothing. I mean, they're loving this kid. If he makes it to them down there, I think the Colts could pick him, too. I think the Colts – but I think they would pick – I think the one thing the Eagles understand more than anything is they win with their defensive line. They win with their defensive line. So I believe in this completely, and this is an Al Davis thing, build on strength. Al Davis hated baseball teams that had two really good pitchers and very little hitting. So they would trade a really good pitcher for a hitter. So now they were just average in pitching and average in hitting, <laughs> That's right? Great. Yeah. Okay. So if you're really good in pitching and you got another chance to get another pitcher, add another pitcher. Right. Now Make your great. rotation the most fearsome in baseball. Else build a just win. strength on a strength. And, and the Eagles no, defensive line, they always rotate a lot of guys right. in there. It's not like and nobody wants to talk about strength on strength because it doesn't look good on the depth chart, right? right. But it looks good for the team. Right, because people look at the depth chart. They go, we got a hole here, we got yeah, a hole here. Yeah, but this defense, like, I got eight defensive line. Right. I'm like, going to rotate these guys. Through. It's like when you watch the Warriors, their strength, everybody talks about how great they shoot. Their strength is defense. Yeah. Man, you watch them play defense, you're they like, holy. Down. You know, they they build on their strength of their defense. They get the guys that can play defense as well as guys that can shoot. Yeah. So I, I think people, again, it goes back to why do we win? Why do we lose? Yeah. You know, well, we didn't make any shots. Well, maybe they're playing pretty good defense. Last thought here for you, the schedule. I believe I saw you tweeting about this, so I already know your stance, but I want to hear it because people <sighs> people started opining and saying, uh, okay, I'm looking at the Miami Dolphins. All right, week three, they're at the Cowboys. Like, oh, my God, okay, that's a win. That's a loss. <laughs> Everyone starts going through the schedule, Mike, and saying, okay, honestly, I've taken a look at it. I feel like uh, where the Bills were going 10-6. Did they teach this at Syracuse? Like, when you're, did you you didn't go to Syracuse, did you? <laughs> I did, but I feel like I did because everybody at the ESPN went All to right, Syracuse. All right, so they must teach this course at Syracuse. Okay, so whenever a schedule comes out, let's yeah. have a show. We get all our hosts on the show oh, yeah. and have them all look at a scoreboard and predict the 
Right. Who's got the easiest schedule? Who's the hardest schedule? And then like, they put these poor show ho- the, 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 the analysts in this awkward position. Well, I think they're going to go 10 wins. And then some schmo from Des Moines says, yeah. runs to his local bookie and says, give me the Browns for under over 10, right? <laughs> meanwhile, the guy then hates him for the rest of his life yeah. because he gave him a stupid pick, right? right. Like, is this the, like at some point, I know B rolls like course 101 at, at Syracuse, right? Yeah, yeah. Squaring to the cameras, course two, right? <laughs> Course three Just is single me up and I'll go. Yeah. Course three is we're gonna go once any schedule comes out. Major yeah. League Baseball's 162 scale. Let's come on in here. We're gonna figure it out. Right. Take a look at the schedule. What, what's what's the series you're looking forward to? What's the hardest series? The like, worst series? Like seriously, I want to know who I'm playing at quarterback. The thing I hate the most is when they're looking at they go according to opponent win percentage last year. This is the 30th easiest schedule. Well, yeah, but those teams are not gonna be the same as last year. So what is that even? I don't know if that's an easier or it's hard the schedule. Fallacy of the of the whole argument. Like right. that was last year's team. It has nothing to do with this year. <laughs> I mean, okay, that argument's going to be, but Hugh Jackson was coaching the Brownies last year. Like, right. like does that, does that weigh into the strength of schedule too? You put that in the equation? I'm glad you mentioned Cleveland because by the looks of this, looks like an 11 win team. Oh, <laughs> just put write them down, write down 11 wins, right? But if Mayfield gets hurt, can anybody say who the backup quarterback is? Win against the Titans, win against the Jets, well, win against the Rally. I like all these wins. Meanwhile, week seven. Meanwhile, those, all those guys at Syracuse write down the wins. You know, I mean, you know, some, some person in, in Peoria is pissed off at me because I said they're going to be over eight wins you realize i mean i thought i really thought the texans would be a would be a legitimate super bowl team last year mm-hmm. and i and i said the texans in green bay i thought would be my which is another stupid thing to do is That's predict okay. the super bowl yeah right i've get more crap from people you like the packers last year well i did i mean i admit it the, yeah. that guy coming here's why i liked him i didn't dislike him because i picked it out of the air i mean here's right. my reasons yeah but this stupidity of of looking at the schedule do you at least look at the bye week? Does that mean anything to you if you go, hey, this team's got an early bye or a well-situated bye? I think the the head coach I look at more than anything. Like, How's he going to handle the bye? What's he going to do on the bye? I think this. I think that, to me, teams that have a bye early, yeah, they are very threatened by the fact that they will not be as effective late in the year if they don't have a tough-minded coach. Because they have a bye early, they won't practice late. And they'll lose. Football is a game of conditioning and pad level. Don't ever forget that. It's pad level and conditioning. So the longer you go without practicing pad level and practicing your conditioning, the less your team becomes. This is why Kentucky's good at basketball at the end of the year, because they still do the fundamentals at the end of the year. San Antonio's, the teams that get better at the end of the year, understand we got to practice at the end of the year. And when you have a buy too early, you got to rest the guys. So instinctively you say, I got to rest the guys. I got to give them a break. Well, no, you you got to buy early. You're going to have to still gear it up for them. This fits in perfectly, Mike. The two teams of the earliest buys, the Niners and the Jets. Right, the Jets. The, the, well, but I think Gase, I feel bad for Adam because he's dealing with McKagan, who's still there, mm-hmm. you know, go, picking the players for the coach. It's the old Bill Walsh argument. You know, Bill, I, I, I did this in the book, Gridiron Genius. Bill had this great capsule about how he described the NFL and how general manager sits with the owners and tells them how good the team is and how great the facilities are and how we got all these good players and the coach is screwing it up. Meanwhile, the coach is working 20 hours a day and can't get it figured out. And then when, of course, when time gets fired, the the coach gets fired, the GM stays in a job. You know, Bill always used to think this is a quote from Walsh general managers back then in his day were nothing but bad coaches now telling good coaches what to do. Which there was some merit to that, yeah. But anyway, so I, I think Gase understands it. I think his relationship with with Saban gets that program. I think he understands pad level is important. The GM shuffle, you can always catch us here. Subscribe, rate, and review. Here's the key: you got to spread the word when it comes to us. Subscribe, rate, review. I don't care if you don't listen. Tell Grandma to start subscribing. Maybe yeah. she'll like a couple thoughts here and there. Trust me, in the summer we're going to get very loose, have a lot of fun, a lot of entertainment. Enjoy the draft tonight in Las Vegas, and uh, it'll be a blast, man. <laughs>